so many people don't get the overall culture of the Bible. They don't realize it's the most optimistic, most positive book you could ever read, ever. But a pessimist will still go through it and find everything he can to make your life hell. And preachers can do that, and people can do that. And so today I want to talk about, we're going to, we're going to look at some studies that have been done out there about optimism. I don't mean just this little bit, oh, things are going to turn out. Just wait and see. That really deep thinking people go like, get them out of my world. We got to solve problems. We got to analyze issues. We got to drop down and take a look at consequences. And, 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 and so people who, who look at many optimistic leaders often think they're Pollyannish. You know, they just like, Valerie, Valra, a backpack on my back, tiptoe through the tulips. Everything's going to be fine. But Lots of studies that are being done by psychology and other areas of science, universities, have looked at this issue of optimism. And I'm going to use that word, and then I'm going to tie it into some scripture, because so many of us have gotten locked up into some kind of religiosity, or, or, and so we need to be aware very aware of what do I as a Christian do? How do I think? What are the processes of my brain? If you've got a new culture, if you've got a new heart, and you've got a new spirit, you need a new operating system. And if you don't, you're going to have an operating system that's going to be looking for the negative and believing it, and just think, oh, nothing's going to work out, just like the world does in so many cases. So the Bible teaches us very clearly that your mind is a tool that's got to be changed, renewed. There's got to be a new operating system built into it. You've got to put off old concepts and operating systems, and most people just think it's new knowledge, and it's not. If you do that, all you do is add new knowledge to your old pathetic operating system, and God has done something to us where the Spirit of God comes in, and we think and function and operate and have emotions like Jesus, the mind of Christ. And so I want you to kind of let go. So we're going to talk a little bit about just optimism and look at the way the world is discovering. And then let me just give you a, a final punch that shows you how incredible it is to know Christ and how it will take us through to win. We know that people who are optimists as opposed to people who are pessimists all right, we're going to talk about that. Performance in every area of your life is shaped by your mindset, your patterns, your mood. This has been taught all the way back to Dale Carnegie. And the business world completely accepts it, and every principle is a biblical principle. But yet the church was the hardest against these men. Like... Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, all these men, they weren't even allowed in churches when they began decades and decades ago to try to encourage people to think in an optimistic manner. So we need to understand that what is pessimism? 
What is optimism? I'm using different words than the Bible uses. Because Christians, for some reason, grab a Bible term, and when we hear a a new term in modern vernacular, we don't tie them together and understand the wealth of study that has gone in that proves the Word of God is a stunning, incredible spiritual and psychological and physical tool to fix every area of our lives. Our thought patterns, they either give us staying power or, and resilience so we don't get bogged down when problems come, when storms blow. It'll help you to protect your health, your wealth, your family, your home. And, and some people, a lot of people distrust optimism. It's just kind of like candy thinking. It's just, you know, you guys aren't realistic. And this is not about sugarcoating the truth, okay? It's about managing your head in the middle of the hell that pushes against you and the pain that is being brought into your life, whether it's betrayal or sickness or, or, or whatever is going on. We all, so many people, I gotta be careful saying we all, We don't recognize that our process of thinking, our habitual thinking, destroys any ability for us to see victory and for God to even work through us. Studies have proven now over and over and over again, I know, I've read them, that optimism is a major asset in every area of business and life. In business, They know that optimistic CEOs find solutions and take companies to where they should go. But pessimistic CEOs give up and find no answers. And so they maintain and they manage. When they asked me to take over the Miracle Channel 11 years ago or so, you know, I met with the top people there, the, you know, the C-suite, whatever they had the first C, and they just looked at me and smiled and said, you know, TV has done its best. And so the, the, the heyday of television is over. We are now in two satellites across the nation of Canada. Money is continuing to go down. And, uh, you know, they were just about bankrupt. And so, you know, let's, we'll just ride this thing out. The seasons have changed. I fired them both. I can't work with that. And I began to put people in who would work with me. And you say, well, when, they, when I brought in optimistic leaders, they did not sugarcoat our problems. You can't sugarcoat bankruptcy. You can't sugarcoat, we can't get on any cable stations. You can't sugarcoat, we're nowhere around the world. You can't sugarcoat, we got old equipment and no money to, you can't sugarcoat. All these problems, so what do you do? You go after every individual issue. And when you go after it, you only an optimist will look for solutions. A pessimist is just planning the departure, planning the bankruptcy. We know that when it comes to people who are optimists, that it affects politics. Did you know that every president, every prime minister that gets in, they don't get in with a pessimistic look at the nation. Now, they might lie their way all the way to the presidency or the prime minister. We don't, I don't know. But they've got to stay positive because that's the only way to bring hope and leadership. 
We know in studying academics, in studying athletics, in studying health, that positive, optimistic thinking is the top people who are paid. They get better evaluations from their supervisors. And so in every area, that it's not even a matter of the jury's out. We know that optimistic, they did studies of baseball pitchers and hitters. And the ones who were pessimistic did lousier. The ones who were optimistic about their ability to hit, and they did better. Pessimistic swimmers, substandard times, and they fail to bounce back when they have a, a blip in their performance. Over and over, from baseball pitchers to basketball, they found that pessimistic basketball teams, they lose to the point spread more than optimistic basketball teams. They have studied sports. They have studied politics. They've studied business. They have proven this out. A scientific evidence, if that's what you need, is absolutely solid. Optimism on a broad spectrum has tremendous value when it comes to organizations and individuals. Regardless of what life leaves on your doorstep, you will be positioned better to handle it if you are an optimist rather than a pessimist. Well, what is optimism? Well, optimism, it basically believes that things are going to work out. Things are going to be better. It's a hopefulness about the future. It's a confidence about the future. Now, you say, well, Leon, my spouse, my kids, my business partner, it's wah, wah, they'll find every problem everywhere. Finding problems isn't the issue. It's the mindset that you look at those problems with. And so we've got to understand that now dealing with pessimism, We often think that an optimist and a pessimist are two ends of the same graph. But an interesting thing came out of these studies as I was going through them. They found that pessimism is its own graph and optimism is its own graph and that you can't get pessimists to be optimistic. Well, then what do you do? I figured that out for myself because almost everybody's got a pessimist in their life. You have to teach them how to deal with pessimism because newspaper lingo always said bad news always pushes out good news. And the same is true in your head. You've got to deal with the pessimistic thinking. You have to deal with the way you look at the issues. Clement Stone, an old-timer, made this observation, you know. <laughs> There's very little difference in people, but that little difference makes a huge difference. The little difference is attitude. The big difference is whether it's positive or negative. And the proof is out in so many areas that I think the church is the last to hear it. There is scientific argument. Now, someone's going to go, well, I don't need scientific argument. I got the word. I'm with you, and I totally agree with you. But science for so many people is like the new religion. 
But every field of research shows us that optimists get paid more, healthier, win elections. Uh, every area of society you will, you will find that to be optimistic in your thinking is an absolute asset. Now, as you look at, well then, how do I deal with this negative thinking, this negative emotions? I wake up with a knot in my stomach, and I look at stuff, and I, I don't see any hope. I don't see... That's because of your mindset. It's not because that's the truth. They have proven that in the same situation, an optimist believes they'll make it, and a pessimist believes it's over. And they have proven in almost every case they are both right. Now, optimism can be learned. It's got to be this strong, hard optimism. We're not talking about sugarcoating problems. We're not talking about looking at something through rose-colored glasses. We're talking about the way you look at the issues and the things that are in front of you. So it's more important, they're saying, I'm going to prove it to you in the word after this, I'm just giving you some studies for a while, that they have found they can change people's lives if they deal with their pessimism rather than leave all the pessimism in place and encourage them to be optimistic. That pessimistic uh, mindset and that pessimistic way of dealing with everything. That pattern of thinking has to be removed. That habitual thinking, that onboard systematic way you process when we talk about renewing the mind, it's not adding more knowledge, it's changing processors. And that processor, the Holy Spirit, is on the inside of you. You simply have to go and be obedient to the training that he will do to change this. You are the boss of your attitude, not your spouse, not the boss of where you work. You are literally the boss of your attitude, but pessimists always throw up their hands and go, this is the way I am. Like it or lump it. I'll lump it every time. I don't need to like it. Don't need to hang out with you. Don't need to listen to you. I got amazing optimists who are clinical researchers who are completely amazing at critiquing the issues. When I was with, I was speaking the other day with two, and I can't even talk about names and stuff, with, I was speaking to a, a national conference and we had two brilliant men that went up there and I loved their presentation. But when they were done presenting facts, they had a conclusion. It was a conclusion that I absolutely disagreed with. Give me the facts, I'll handle them. You can give them to me as blunt as you want, as analytical as you want. You can show me the, the, the possibilities on the negative, etc., etc. But you're not making my conclusions for me. And I'm challenging you today because we're going through a time where I am stunned how negative the church is. I'm blown away at their giving up and throwing up their hands and going, let's just do nothing and hope everything works out. Has that really worked for the church country after country in the last 2,000 years? Never. Where do you rank yourself on optimism? They did a poll 
large one across the United States, you know that three out of four people consider themselves optimists. But in a study, it was only one out of four that were actual optimists. So that means half the two-thirds of the pessimists all think they're optimists. <laughs> Dr. Carl Menninger in his study of this said this. This is a stunning thought. Listen to this. Attitudes are more important than facts. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Pessimistic people continue to gather facts, negative facts. They gather facts, they gather facts, they analyze facts, they focus on facts, they focus on the negative and the problem and who's got the problem and that's just a symptom, go one level deeper and they'll go eight levels deeper and nine levels deeper and, and, and it goes on and on. And he is saying that in your life, your attitude is more important than you cataloging everything that's going on to such a degree that you are the most factual person in the room. Yeah, but you're a pessimist, so it's not going anywhere. It's not a thing you're going to do with those facts to help you other than to confirm it's over. Put your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye. We can't always control what the world brings us, but you are free to manage your thoughts, your moods, your emotions, the, the systematic way that you deal with facts. They tell us they say, and I don't know how true that is, that, you know, your upbringing, and so 50% of the optimists, they feel it's just because of the way they were raised. Now, I know upbringing has a huge part to play in children's lives. Kids don't do what you say. They act the way you act. They're going to be as emotional, up and down, as their parents, as, or as one of their parents, uh, or as positive as they've been trained. But they, just, they felt in this study that some people just seem to be so naturally optimistic, and there's some that just seem to be naturally pessimistic. I don't believe we're born that way. The Bible does not teach us that. But I believe in the womb you could begin to sense a pessimistic attitude, a negative attitude, a down, a depression, a, a life is not going to work out. I believe that begins to, to vibe into our kids. Now we know that kids actually rank really high in optimism. Uh, they, and, and that women have greater ranges. They're more optimistic than men. And they're more pessimistic than men. Uh, they're just, they have stronger emotions. So fate, they have proven, doesn't really determine. What happens externally doesn't really determine your future. Now, pessimists completely believe that. But we know that's not true. The word and, when you study uh, the study of psychology, we know that optimists will begin to hunt until they find solutions. They just refuse to think that the life is over. Wah, wah. They just refuse to think that there's just no way. Optimists always believe that anything negative is going to end and they're going to go back or they're going to find a solution and they're, and they're going to move on with it. And so... What's interesting to me is that the Bible very clearly teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it doesn't say be positive. It says take control of negative thoughts. Isn't that interesting? The Bible understands the psyche of human beings because God made you. And he's saying only you can, can grab a thought and take it captive. 
in there in the Amplified, it says only you can tear down the way you think. Only you can begin to change your expectations. And it talks about ways of thinking, patterns of thinking. And it says God's Word is designed to come in and not just give you more information. You're just going to be a confirmed pessimist because now you know the Word and the problems and now you're prophesying everything's over. Christians can be the worst. You give me a spiritually alive person who's negative, and it's just, oh, Jesus, help me. We've got to develop, through God's Word, an understanding of how to think and to process like an optimist. There's a story that goes on inside of you and I, and that story is how we look at everything. And then we walk this story out, and a pessimist is always, wah, wah, and the optimist is always going, even if I don't have it, I'm going to keep watching because over the hills is going to come an answer. The Bible even says that. You know, that when a, a city was being attacked and there was no hope, they'd keep their eyes on the hills from whence cometh their help. What are they saying? When an army from another city was to come to help them, you'd see them first come over the top of one of those hills. And there'd be a cheer go up. Here comes help. And David says, my help comes from the Lord. So even if you have no hope, the Bible teaches us to look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Pessimists, they, they, they literally are people who they take personal responsibility for every problem. Yep, it's just, you know, I know, I'm just a loser. Everything's personal. And everything is pervasive. It just goes everywhere. And it's in everywhere of my life. And, you know, life is awful and it's going to ooze into every area. There's just no hope. This is the way their thinking works. The World Health Organization says, and one of the things I read, that depression will be the number two most debilitating issue in the world. Or actually, it is by 2020. Heart issues are number one, depression number two. And as they study depression, there's a, and there's different reasons for depression, everything from health issues, uh, but there is a strong correlation to the thinking processes of people who get pulled into that. Because when you are a pessimistic person, everything is personal, it's all your fault, you're not good enough, big enough, it's permanent, nothing's ever going to change, and it's basically pervasive. Those are the three things they say that follow uh, pessimists in their studies. But God's Word deals with every one of those things. God's Word says very clearly that we don't fight according to this world's warfare, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, which means truths that are erected against the truth. Concepts that deny God is going to get involved, that his angels are encamped around us, that the spirit of God is upon you. It took Samson to pull the gates off of cities. It made David run through a troop and leap over a wall. It gave Esther bravery to risk her life and save an entire nation. It made a wimp like Gideon rise up and take his country to victory. God's always got an answer. So we can't think like the world. And it goes on to talk here about take thoughts Captive. That's the very first thing you need to start doing is recognizing this pessimistic look. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the teaching of the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God. It's not, well, we're Christians. We just sit around and wait for the angels to flap a few wings. No, read the Old Testament. He gives brilliance to Solomon 
courage and fighting power to David. He helps turn around the thinking patterns of Gideon, causes a woman to rise up and win an entire country. God gets involved in our thinking and our believing, and without God's word, we're just another person being positive for a a few little years of our life while we're in leadership, and it's like fireworks. It goes, blasts off into the sky, and it goes, Boom, and it all twinkles out. But according to God, when you begin to look at the optimistic, positive, faith-filled word of God, he's saying that the blessing's going to follow you for generations. Not just while you're in office, not just for this little bit of when you were popular. The world can hang on to some successful leadership for little short periods of time. But a man and a woman of God can know the favor and the blessing of God their entire life. And it says to the second and third generation, just because grandpa and grandma serve God. And then you get every generation serving God, and then it says to the thousandth generation, or it means it never ends. When a, when, when a person begins to look to the Word of God, you're transformed. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about the renewing of the mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, which means the most mature way to serve God. We need to think this way. So many times in the Old Testament, there are times where God gets involved and just does an amazing miracle. But did you know almost every time he does it through somebody? What's God trying to do through you? What answer has he got for the business thing you're dealing with right now, for the career that might have just ended and the world's just trying to manipulate and and penalize and whatever's going on, whatever your description of this is, what's your attitude towards it? Well, my career's finished. Oh, who's in charge of your career? You have to understand, I, I put a lot of years in. No, I don't understand. I understand pain and heartache and brokenness, yes. But my help cometh from the Lord, and your help cometh from the Lord. And if he's going to create, he's going to create. He's going to help you out. He's got to transform, first of all, the thinking on the inside of us. The Bible is the most optimistic, positive book you're ever going to find. In Hebrews, it simply says, verses 2 of chapter 4, it says, if you don't mix faith with what you hear, it doesn't profit you one bit. You listen to the Bible, and it just adds more to your pessimistic thinking. Your favorite book becomes Job, and you don't even understand the covenant he was under. Well, I'm just a Job going to curse God and die. And then you'll read chapters of his pathetic, pessimistic thinking. And you think because it's in the Bible that it's truth. Ooh, I just shocked somebody. What do you mean, Leon? Everything in the Bible is recorded and reported truthfully. But everything that's in the Bible isn't truth. If you go to a loser in the Bible and you listen to what they say, you've got to read it in context. Job going off and just coming at God doesn't mean those are godly principles because God answers it in the next chapters and goes, bam, bam, who do you think you are? And he just doses an incredible uh, positive God is here. I'm challenging you today. Because I can preach my little heart out behind this pulpit all I want. 
But if you're not going to deal with the pessimistic thinking and the attitude of the world that creeps in, if you don't go to God's word and say that when I get into his word, that faith grows. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. It is even our faith. The Bible teaches us over and over. Whatever is born of God overcomes when they get to heaven. No, overcomes the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads me in triumph. Oh, except 2021. No, always. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. That's the problem. What is God's will? God's will is His Word. This is where religion has gotten crazy. If I talk to you, I know, if you talk to me, let's do it this way, and you hear me talking and giving you my word as to what I want and what I do, what I want to do, and then someone asks you, yeah, but what's Leon's will? Well, unless I'm a liar and a fraud and a cheat, my will is my word. I said, I don't keep my word. If I've stated my will, and I've stated my desire, and I've stated where I want to go and what I want to do, and then you're going to try to separate my will from my word. You're calling me two-faced. You're calling me hypocritical then. Someone's, why? Because your will is your word. You don't separate the two with honorable, integrous, amazing people. His words is will. Yet we do it to God all the time, especially religious people. All I want to say to you today, you've got a choice. Being an optimist does not mean ignoring the problem. It doesn't mean looking at it in rose-colored glasses. It doesn't mean sugarcoating the problem. It is a way of looking at every issue, studying this issue, raise it, looking at it, and, and, and yes, as, but in your looking at it, you're not looking to be persuaded things are over. Wah, wah. You're looking because God's going to give me an answer. God's going to guide me to solutions. God's giving me this mind and this team around me, and we're going to rise up and go... I've never seen the righteous forsaken. You know, God hasn't forsaken us on this path. God hasn't forsaken his church and where we're going. He didn't just pull up roots like some people think from Canada and America and God is judging them and he's leaving. You can't find a verse for that. That's just more pessimistic thinking. It's a triumphant church without spot and wrinkle. The light grows brighter and brighter until that perfect day. We are the head and not the tail. And if you don't believe it, I actually don't even care. I'm just trying to help you out because I believe it and I'm going there. And I want every one of you with me. I want us to get up and say, here's a team of people who said, we don't care what's going on here. We care, but we are not going to focus on this and be so pessimistic. It's wah, wah. And then the end times teaching that you've got is all Jesus save us from the big bad devil. Jesus, the church is just finished. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word the gates of hell shall not prevail against it is not a defensive term. It's been kind of twisted a little bit. It's, it's accurate, but it is literally saying, you see, there's not a big pair of gates from hell that are flapping through the air coming against the church. 
The gates always refer to the best thinking in the city. The elders sat in the gates. The leaders sat in the gates. War was determined and made in the gates. If your husband sat in the gates in those days, he was a, he was a leader of that city in government, in war. And so when it says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it means there's not a strategy in Satan's head that's going to make it. Most of the church thinks so. But he's a finite created being. He's not an infinite, omnipresent, all-knowing being like the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And so I might be a little bit hard in my preaching today, but I want to just jumpstart you back over to biblical terminology. And that is, it now abides these three. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Hope is about the future. Faith goes and gets it. And love is our motive. We're not angry. We're not ticked off and mad. We're so full of love for our nation, full of love for our government, full of love for all that's going on, people around us. And we're going to get up because we're we're going to wade into the trenches. We're going to rescue them out of the ditches. We're going to continue to raise up great government and business and all the beautiful gifts that are in us. It's to raise up, look to the future with hope, and declare that this nation of Canada and the church around the world will continue to be salt, which means it's going to bring longevity to us, and it's going to continue to bring light, which means it brings an enlightenment to our darkness, our confusion. The church is the answer. We got a lot of beautiful, wonderful people out there to reach. And so let's get rid of our pessimism and let's recognize, well, Leon, read the book of Psalms. Well, why don't you get saved and look at Jesus? Yeah, but Solomon was the wisest man in the world. No, Jesus was wiser than Solomon. Yeah, but Solomon, no, Solomon was in the old covenant. You're in the new covenant. Yeah, well, David went on and on, talking about bad and how tough it was. Good. If you love the Psalms, read the negative ones, but would you get to the positive ones at least and show how he resolves everything. And as he's busy whining and crying before God, God seems to hit him and he goes, and I can jump, jump through a troop. I can leap over a wall. My God is my sword. My God is my shield. He's taking me through. There's nothing that's going to stand before us. That's the part of David that I loved. He processed through that, that pessimistic thinking until his God was greater and larger and higher. And I want you to know, I don't wear rose-colored glasses. I pay people to give me hard, cold facts in every organization that we run. But when those hard, cold facts come in, we get into prayer and believing God that God knew this was coming. He's not surprised. Let's figure out the political issues. Let's figure out the financial issues. Let's figure out the educational issues. Let's figure out the health issues. Let's figure out where the church fits in all of this. And let's be that hope that just gets underneath people and be is the wind that is beneath their wings. You are an optimist. It's what you were designed to be if you serve Jesus Christ. The Bible in the New Covenant has nothing that says to you, oh, hum. Tell everybody life's a pessimistic kind of system, but if you'll just turn to Jesus, he will save you from all the heartache by killing you and taking you to heaven, or he's going to blow a trumpet and rescue you off this planet, or whatever it is that you believe. And let's go back to being the head. Let's go back to saying, if he can raise up a Solomon and a David and a Gideon and an Esther and a Ruth, then he can raise up even greater today because Hebrews says the covenant we have today is better promises based on a better covenant and we're going to go do greater things. And even Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I do. Oh, except after 2000. 
No way. Are you with me? Let's just continue to believe God, pray with passion, and know that we're going to see things turned around. Father, today I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that everything in the word, in context, even the seemingly negative verses, they're just processing us through to winning. Faith is a process. And optimism and positiveness, and dealing with thoughts and taking them captive, all of this is a part of a process to incredibly strong, stubborn faith that never lets go of what you've created us to be. Touch people today. I pray that this message just rescues someone's head, that just rescues someone's heart, their relationship, their future. Father, you said, forgetting those things which are behind, we press towards the mark for the prize of a high calling. Our faith takes us further, greater, bigger, better in business, relationships, every area of our lives. Let this message, Father, just take root in every heart. And I thank you for the praise of your people. I thank you for the lifting up of holy hands and declaring the goodness of God in the land of the living. Father, I declare that over springs in every person listening to this around the world. Let there be an upsurge in the church in every denomination, every person, every woman and man of God. Get up and declaring our best is still ahead of us. In Jesus' name, and everybody in agreement said, amen and amen. Amen.